Welcome to Madison Bookbeat, your listener-sponsored community radio home for local authors, topics, books, events, and publishers. I'm your host, Cole Erickson. Our guest today is author Steve Fox, here to talk with us about his debut collection of short stories, Sometimes Creek, published in January of this year by Cornerstone Press. Steve is a Wisconsin writer whose work has been featured and acknowledged by the likes of Midwestern Gothic, Narrative Magazine, The Iowa Review, Whitefish Review, Cut Bank, the Wisconsin Writers Association, and much more. He received multiple awards for his work, including recently winning the Zona Gale Award for Short Fiction and this year's Wisconsin Writers Awards for Sometimes Creek. To quote the book's back cover, which I think accurately describes the book, the 17 unrelenting stories in Steve Fox's debut story collection traverse sub-zero trail of plausible magic and grit from a kaleidoscope of broken ice at a hockey rink in Wisconsin that coils through haunted rivers around dangling legs of Yamon, Serrano, and sweltering Spanish bars and back again to a place where Kafka and Carver meet up on the page. Fox's clean prose takes you by the hand and weaves a tapestry of tenderness, dissonance, indifference, dystopia, and charm into that gauzy space that collectively takes shape in your hands as sometimes creak. With that, it's with great pleasure to welcome Steve Fox to Madison Bookbeat. Steve, thanks for joining us and congrats on the book. Oh, thank you, Cole. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure, pleasure, yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed the book. I think um, I had to start it out with that back cover intro because, um, and this is, I, I think, some of my favorite uh, reads I love, and, and it goes for all art, I think, in general, is when you when someone asks kind of what you're listening to, or what you're reading, or what you're watching, and you have that feeling of like, you know, I don't really know. It's like, it's hard to describe. It's a very, you know, kind of, and you, you kind of stumble on your words. I think that's usually a great sign, at least for me, of that, like, you're really digging into something good. And um, so, um, yeah, it, it was a pleasure to read, and i um, happy to have you. Um, so yeah, my first question for you, sir, is um, uh, for your short stories. Um, they were they were so they were so interesting and like I said, kind of very unique. There was a lot of uh, kind of various um, things that happened throughout the different collection. Um, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different elements, and yet it also tied so well together. Um, so I first just wanted to ask, like, how did you end up? composing and kind of deciding on these stories all together and how did how did the arc of kind of that whole collection take place i think for me uh the stories kind of chose themselves you know i was contacted by cornerstone press shortly after um sometimes creek was selected an honorable mention in a contest and uh so before the soda gale award and I'd been talking to some uh, Cornerstone in the past, and they said, do you think you have a collection that could come together? And they really like the vibe of that story. Uh, it's like you read off the back of the book. You know, there's, it's really, you know, kind of warm beer poured into a dirty ashtray at a bar carver with, you know, a man becoming a fly. And yeah. Kafka, um, that's a line, you know, one of, one of the editors that, at a journal said that that's how they felt every time they read the story. It's like there's one sort of thing that you're asked to believe in, and I don't let go of it. Um, but as far as the, all the stories and the perspectives, I, they just kind of come out. I don't like to write the same story twice. 
Um, there are some people I think who you can you can tell when you pick it up that it's whose story it is sometimes just because they're writing about the same thing over and over again or with the same voice or the same perspective. And for me, I, uh, I really enjoy um, observing things from multiple perspectives. So this kind of goes in a couple of ways. It works like um, with the point of view. So you'll have a first person point of view, second person point of view, like the first story and a third person point of view. And then sometimes a very close third or a very removed third. And then also I have a hard time not seeing stories as somehow connected to one another, even like in daily life. I, uh, you know, one example I give is like you, you walk into a supermarket and you're pushing your cart through the store. You see somebody traverse, you know, for you and they might bump the shopping cart with someone. And I always wonder for me, those are two storylines and they're like solutions to a crossword puzzle and the letters march across the page across and another solution comes down vertically and where they intersect those two solutions, those stories share that one common space, that one letter that they both need, you know, that they have, and then they move on with the rest of their lives. So the story may be with the first person, but I always wonder what happens to the next one. You know, what happened to that other person and where are they going and who they live with and what are they like? And it's, and they often get their own story, those sorts of people. Yeah, no, definitely. I loved, I, I love that an analogy of the crossword puzzle because even, like you said, you don't want to write the, sh- the same story twice. And it definitely didn't feel like that. It was like, I, every, every single, like, you know, I, I get to the title page of the next story and I'm like, you know, what the heck is this going to be about? Because, like, you know, so far it's been a, a ride of just lots of different things. And yet, yeah, there's there's all these intersections, like kind of these, I mean, Easter eggs is maybe not the right word. But, yeah, kind of I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that crossword aspect of, of you kind of have these hints of kind of different things, almost a, a similar. It, it was almost a world building in a sense. I mean, I definitely got this idea of like Noisy Creek kind of being this this space that all these people were kind of a part of in different ways or and it was kind of very existential to me, I think, too, because it, it had that, like you said, in a grocery store, it had that really real aspect of kind of where all like, oh, yeah, he's he's probably that friend or or they they both went to the same cafe or that really real sense that's kind of happens in a town and just especially small town, like everything's kind of connected. Um, yeah, I, I love that analogy. Um, I, I guess to kind of build on that. Um, with the title, I think, um, uh, how did you, how did you decide that sometimes Creek, which which is the last uh, story of the of the collection, how how did you kind of decide that that was um, that was like the icing on the cake, kind of the 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 theme or the the title of this crazy crossword puzzle? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, initially, you know, I I didn't have a title for that story. Uh, okay. It was going to be about black licorice, hmm. a title. Uh, there's a, and this isn't spoiling anything for anyone, but there's a woman in the story who makes her own black licorice. And I happen to love black licorice, but, um, you know, the title just kind of came to me when one of the, when the narrator's little girl tells him that there's this river behind the house across the street. It's small and it's called Sometimes Creek. Well, the man had been living in this town his entire life. He had no idea there was a creek back there. Like, what are you talking about? She said, well, it's called Sometimes Creek. It, 
it's comes and goes. It's only there once in a while. So, and you never really know if it actually is a, a stream or not, but there's one moment where he's thinking, maybe she's caught a trout. So it could be, <laughs> yeah. at times it's more real than it isn't. And then, um, so that kind of had this uh, speculative feel to it, Sometimes Creek. And the publishers really like that for the title of the book. And then the decision was kind of, uh, a lot of people start off their collection with the title story or they finish it. And for me, I just like how the, the story kind of uh, draws away near the end um, uh, as a kind of a sign off for the whole collection of stories. Yeah, definitely. I know I, I like that. I think I, I didn't, and going into it, I didn't read. I didn't read any of the any of the titles. Like I didn't. I didn't um, kind of see the collection. I just kind of went page by page. And I loved kind of coming to the end, being like, "Oh, there's there's an actual story called Sometimes Creek." Like, okay, we'll finally uh, get the answer or whatnot. Yeah, and I and I think um, yeah, and not to spoil it for our listeners, but I think too, it um, it it what I loved about it too, kind of as you mentioned with um, how Sometimes Creek is like the idea. Is um, the the whole book <laughs> the uh, the whole book kind of gives a an aspect of yeah like is it real is it not is it here or is it there like you said a speculative aspect um, there's there's quite a lot of a realism to it and yet kind of like the Kafka analogy of just like where where the you know where are we what is this is this actually um, that intersection um, I I love I love that. Um, in regards to um, like the care, you mentioned a little bit about like characters and perspectives. Um, how you you start with the first story being a uh, in second person, and I love that. I think it grabbed kind of right away. Um, and how in regards to like your writing process, how do you know wh- where like where do you start with a with the story? Like, there's a lot of different perspectives, places is a, a fundamental part at times, you know, secondary characters are a part at times. What's, when you're really creating the story, um, what comes to you first? Is it always a place? Is it always a person, a character, like an idea? What What's kind of the spark um, for each story when you're kind of starting? Usually um, it's the image of a memory of something or something I've observed, which I guess is a memory once I get around to writing about it. Um, sometimes it's a snippet from real life, or sometimes it's a combination of both. Um, you know, there's one story in there that, and, and then I build a story backwards and forwards from that certain moment that I'm recalling, like the example of the shopping carts bumping, even though in sometimes Creek there's not a single example of two shopping carts bumping, but I can assure you I've written a couple of stories where the shopping carts, in fact, do bump, uh, but it doesn't happen in the story. They just didn't fit uh, with the collection, so I didn't include them. Um, but uh, there is one story, though, that it, for example, it's just a memory of my best friend, a look he gave me, um, it's kind of a shun, and I will never forget that the face, and he, I was just devastated. And something reminded me of that. I saw a guy probably in the supermarket, uh, not a bumping shopping cart. And it reminded me of when that my friend did that to me when I was a teenage boy. And I invented the story around it, like the struggle just to fit in and kind of be cool and 
you know, maybe you're undersized or you're just, you're not a popular guy in the ninth to 10th grade, you know, a lot of people felt that way. Um, but in terms of the perspective, like second or third or first, uh, I have no real definite uh, technique. There are times when, for example, especially writing from an, a younger narrative voice, which I quite enjoy, um, a younger voice is more transparent. Kids just kind of say what they see. They don't filter much. They kind of blurt things. And the, and the younger you go, the more blurting there is. Uh, you know, there's there's no angst yet, you know, with a nine-year-old narrator, but there's a frankness that adults kind of envy, I think. Um, but in terms of the perspective, first person, third person, a lot of times that's just how it starts. But I was going to say from a younger perspective, what I do do is I will write something in third person. Um, and then I'll rewrite the, that paragraph in the first. And then I'll reflect on that first person paragraph and then write it again in third. And usually you reveal more and more each time. I don't know if I recommend doing a paragraph by paragraph. So I really am more of a subconscious writer. A lot of things, it just comes out. I really write by instinct and I don't have a lot of guardrails um, in terms of a framework that I follow. And that is one thing that I did have worked on the past years is making an effort to uh, provide a structure for my stories. For example, Sometimes Creek, um, it's kind of a countdown to Halloween. It may not be totally obvious, but um, I literally typed the months and the time left to Halloween in bold in the story, just to kind of make sure I was aware that I, I do have a destination here and I can't just go off on these uh, semi-psychedelic tangents, you know, and uh, I got to keep the reader, I got to consider the reader, <laughs> help them along a little bit. No, that's that. Uh, I I love I love what you said. Um, yeah, with that, that that's a great. I think that's a great framework too. Cause it, it did really, it did really feel like that. It was um, um, the I think too um, the the kind of the concept of of with the seasons that you that you kind of subtly put in there. Um, it really did. I think make it feel specifically Midwest too. And I don't know. I, you know, obviously it was. It was a lot of it was for those listening. It was uh, a lot of it was taking place in Wisconsin, and I want to talk to you more about place. Um, but the um, the aspect of just seasons itself, kind of really being a, a focal point, um, and then mentioning kind of a Wisconsin or place, I think it really strikes home with kind of the Midwest of it being. You know, we're always talking about the weather and different things. It is a very kind of focal point of and a mood. That you that seeps in not in anything directly, but just right away you're like, okay, this this season I'm getting this idea, you know, it, hockey practice, uh, Halloween. It's just you. There's different moods. You're listening to Madison Bookbeat. I'm Cole Erickson in conversation with Wisconsin writer Steve Fox. This year he released his debut collection of short stories. It's called Sometimes Creek. So, Steve, uh, in regards to place, um, I did want to ask you um, about, first off, with the Midwest uh, and Wisconsin, with this collection, did you have a deliberate idea of making sure it was regional, kind of paying homage to, like, growing, like in being in Wisconsin? Um, I know not every story is in the Midwest, um, but what was your sense of place and kind of how that 
uh, became a, a part of the of the um, of the collection. Yeah, I think I didn't realize until I pulled the collection together and and I started receiving blurbs that um, studying was really important <laughs> to my stories. It, it was just something I'd taken for given or taken as given. Um, it's just part of the woodwork almost that I would write about more or less where I'm from. And I, I have lived and worked in a lot of places, uh, you know, very different from Wisconsin. But I, I guess uh, when the time came when I sat down to write these stories, that's that's where I was. And I really enjoy the extremes of the weather and just how people, for the most part, cope. Um, you know, you, you, people complain, but they complain about it, about it when the weather's nice too. So, <laughs> um, but in terms of, I don't know if there's a conscious decision, okay, now the story has to be from Wisconsin. There were a couple of stories that I've written that um, had to have a Wisconsin reference for the whatever I was submitting it to. So I had to make sure I baked in a, a Milwaukee reference or something like that, just, you know, to kind of lock it into place. But uh, um, yeah, setting is really important. I think it sets the mood. And it's kind of what you know, it flushes out these characters. There's um, there's one of your stories uh, in the collection. Um, it's called uh, I, "I Prefer You" in Spanish. Uh, I think uh, that was a really great kind of um, kind of escape, in a sense of a sense of a, a relocation um, within the book. Kind of reading it, you know, all these all these different stories together. Um, because I do think, um, and we can talk about that too, just a collection versus yeah. short stories um, in itself, but just kind of how it played like, you know, in the, in the, the playlist, if you will, of the, of the book, kind of that, that nice escape. Because I think in, in that story, uh, you really kind of bring up the kind of the, the, the non-attractive almost elements or, um, you know, not to speak for the character, but of, of like, the you know the the accent i think the characters in from michigan and it takes place in spain yeah and it um i, I think that romanticism that kind of not the spoiler but kind of comes comes full circle of like you know what's attractive about where you're from and how much do you want to identify versus not um do you in that story do you feel like you had a personal element in that as far as wrestling with kind of loving where you're from and hating where you're from and and the romanticism of that uh, yeah, I think we all do. I mean, there are times when, you know, I just feel like, you know, there's just nothing about us, you know, it, um, just because we're all it's pretty humble. I live in the 715 area code. I'm talking to you now, just south of Lake Superior. Um, you know, there's a lot of sameness going on. And then, um, you know, but <laughs> it's like... Uh, we had a terrible hailstorm where I lived, and like every house in town had to be replaced. Yeah. And all the roofing companies were um, these, these people had hired uh, people from Mexico and Central America to work, and it was fantastic. You know, they they brought in all this food and all these people and all their music, and it totally changed the vibe of the neighborhood. And uh, you know, we're standing around looking like we don't do this, we don't do any of these things, you know. But uh, no, I don't think I feel shame. I, th I think if people do me. For example, they may get tired of um, just the rut they might find themselves in, especially in the winter. I uh, I, wrote, I call that a COVID story, actually. Um, I wrote it during the pandemic when we were still sheltered in place. 
Um, everyone was wearing masks everywhere, no vaccine, no treatment, no cure. And it was scary, a lot of angry people and you know, freaking out about having to put on a mask to run into a target for 20 minutes or whatever. And uh, so I just needed a break um, in terms of place and also style of writing. So that story is quite a removed third person narrative, um, but it's also somewhere else. And it's based on like three or four things that I recall from when I lived in Spain. And I just kind of strung them together in the story. And the, the space and the distance kind of let me escape the 30 below night February when I wrote it, um, even if for a little while, and even if only in my mind, you know, it's healthy to do something different. For sure, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you too about kind of the the pandemic aspect of like your writing because yeah, there's multiple stories in here where they're they're definitely pandemic in nature. You know, a uh, couple I can call directly to it, and other ones kind of almost feel allegorical. Um, you know, with <laughs> with with a lot of consumption of art, and I think with with all of us experiencing the um, the pandemic and and whatnot. Um, you know, I think. And I think why it really resonated with me, this this book, all these stories, is that that surrealistic nature of things that, you know, nothing nothing about this is not real. And yet it feels so different and new and absurd, you know, and different mm-hmm. things that um, that I think is, is such a different feeling. Um, I wanted to talk more kind of about about the themes of the different stories. And um, we mentioned kind of place and, and that intersection between the stories. I also wanted to um, talk a little bit about kind of how how you um, express both uh, kind of, and I don't know if this is the right word, but trauma or just a sense of, of digesting something unsettling. Um, and then also kind of that ju- juxtaposition with that childhood innocence or not even childhood innocence, but just the, at times, just something so innocent, just like, like encountering a mouse and just kind of rolling with it or, or, um, just different, (laughs) different, almost very ease, very like, we just have to go with this. This is, there's nothing unsettling about it kind of almost. And yet that in itself kind of has that feeling. So, um, was, um, I guess I just wanted to ask, yeah, did you have a, um, with the themes, is there is there a certain theme that you like to usually kind of explore specifically, um, or um, or did you kind of feel certain themes kind of come out in this? Yeah, there's yeah, you bring up a lot of things that I think yeah. are, are pretty relevant to the book. So, and again, I thank you for reading the book. Um, yeah, most of my characters are processing something, you know, and I think writers are processing something. That's in a way. You know, I'm processing part of my past as well. But, uh, uh, you know, some of the stories, they border on the absurd. And some are totally absurd. Um, but it's it's actually kind of a way to underscore the reality, I think. You know, you mentioned what's surreal. And even having that speculative uh, edge to it kind of calls more attention to what's totally going on, which I think is appropriate for some stories that were written during um, during our lockdown, during the COVID, you know, before the vaccines and all that. All these stories were written, by the way, between about uh, 2019 and 21. I think I finished the last one at the end of 21. Um, so, yeah, it definitely overlaps the uh, pandemic. But, um, 
I try to recall the rest of your question, but that's right. part of the reason I, I go with the surreal though is it, it just kind of happens. I almost can't help myself from mm -hmm. uh, getting onto that. There's it's just this parallel place that you can access it through this rip in our continuum, and it, it feels close to our reality, but it isn't. And but it's totally there, and it's not so disorienting that you lose your way as a reader or as the writer either. Because all the rest of the stuff is there. It's still really cold, or the dog, or whatever's going on mm -hmm. um, that, that's carrying the story forward. Definitely, yeah, and and um, I I love that. I think um, too, and kind of kind of to a follow up to that with almost the, the that that weird childhood nature to it too. Um, there was a lot of wisdom. There was, I think, one story with the the secondary character. I think her name was Christina in the 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 one with the donuts uh, I'm forgetting the name now um, but just there's such there was such an um, a a implicit wisdom that I gained kind of with like experiencing certain like childhood nature or like the homeless man in the first one of of just like certain certain lessons that were almost kind of um, inexplicitly kind of uh, stated or whatnot, and I, I just wanted to ask you too. I know I read that uh, your father as well. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah, um, three boys. Three boys. Um, I was wondering too. Is how much of your writing would you say, or if any at all, do you think has a a nature of trying to uh, provoke like a wisdom or or tell a wisdom or teach it, and then um, or on the flip side, how much do you think you you learn yourself from from the characters in your writing. I know you say like a lot of it's kind of off the cuff, stream of consciousness. Do you do you think like do you, what's the learning or teaching process? Do you think in in your writing? Uh, I don't really see myself as imparting a tremendous amount of wisdom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in my writing. Yeah, for sure. But I, I I do think there are moments when it does happen. You're right. I would agree with. Uh, yeah, it's Christina. The story is only and destiny. It's hmm. um, the. Danish word for uh, donut holes. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, she's just within arm's length of this guy's, the narrator's age. You know, she's like in her 20s and he's 15 or 16. And, you know, so there's that tension there. He's a university student and he's kind of seeing what, you know, probably where he's headed, but he's not sure. There's a little bit of pain there. Uh, and she's a very confident. Person. I didn't realize until I started writing her just how relaxed and at ease and so comfortable within her own skin she was. Um, just how she came out. You know, she uh, packs her own lunches and she smells like the food co-op and she somehow gets all this stuff done and she does a good job for this kid's father and all, all that at working at the store. And, and she's nice to the narrator too. Or she's respectful, I should say. No, but mostly nice. And then at the end, yeah, um, she has an indirect way of of, of settling him. I think. Uh, in terms of the kids, yeah, I, I. It's hard not to see things the way they do, especially uh, the way they articulate. My kids are pretty outspoken, and they don't have a lot of <laughs> weekly held opinions, so it's. Not too hard for me to flip things around and say, okay, here's here's all this guy's this. Of course, it's ridiculous. Here's why. And then, you know, we can kind of suss it out and figure that out. 
so in some ways that's an advantage for me to be able to to write from a younger perspective but not all the stories are from you know a child's perspective but they do involve some of them do involve uh, you know a younger person's outlook yeah definitely um and and the ones that don't um there's there's one uh, very more edgy one that I particularly enjoyed, and yet it was the shortest. And I think that's maybe partly why it hit so hard for me is it it just comes and goes. And that was called dump, uh, dumplings, and I I got a laugh, and yet also I think it was kind of one of the darker ones. Um, uh, but I wanted to ask you too uh, because after reading that one. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I, I immediately after kind of finishing it, I'm just like, wow. There's a, there's definitely a power in in the the length of something, and you know, it it's really an aspect of like, wow, that was it, and yet, oh, it was so. I think that you know, it was so good in that in that shortness. So I also wanted to ask, just on a level of short stories, you know, since that's the that's the form uh, that you um, you know partook in. Um, what is, how would you say you know when something is too long, too short? How do you know when something's finished? I th- and I think because that happens with poetry and novels and everything as well, it's, or, or painting even. Just when, when does the creative process stop and how do you know when something's finished, especially like a short story where, you know, it's, you only got a couple pages maybe? Right. Yeah, I think, um, I think once the story leaves me alone, I know I'm done with it. You know, the mm-hmm. story grabs me. I, I really have a hard time not working on it. Um, and I really do fly out of bed at quarter to five, five in the morning, and I'll get up and I'll work on it for a few hours while the kids get up, and then I'll work on it at night. So I kind of got that uh, opposite ends of the day loop going on between my work day or on the bookends of my work day. But um, on a real practical and not a very creative <laughs> uh, reasoning is this it depends where I'm submitting yeah you know if you want to if you want to get published you need to write a story it's like three to five thousand words long anything over five starts to get pretty tough to play mm. um, not so much if the competition's that much more fierce it just it takes up more room mm. um, you know with the advent of all these online journals now and so many of them are really wonderful they're just not enough time to read there are just millions of great writers that you've never heard of. You may never hear of them, but they are able to find homes on, on these journals that just did not exist 10 years ago, right? Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, so there's a little more possibility to be, but don't forget, someone's got to read them, someone's got to edit them, they got to still got to get formatted, they got to get marked up for the web and all that. Um, so the link does actually put it up better, but mostly it's, it's a sense of, um, it's just a sense of well-being with the story. I think it's the very subconscious thing. Um, some stories do lend themselves to be prolonged, or sometimes I'll, I'll realize that what I'm working on is actually part of something bigger or a different story, and I'll break it off. And sometimes that's pretty cool, too, if you got two stories that partner up with one another. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, you know, uh, uh, this is this is uh, your first published collection, right? Um, and um, mm-hmm. I was wondering too. Yeah, do you? Uh, how much do you partake in other forms of um, of creative writing? Uh, and then, um, do you see kind of a 
future projects happening kind of in similar aspects or or yeah how do you how how do you explore other forms of creative writing i write it you yeah. know i i do try a little bit of poetry you know people said that my my prose is pretty poetic and the um, concise nature of it kind of makes it feel like a little bit like poetry um so i, I take that as a compliment because poetry is hard uh, which is probably why i don't write much of it uh longer form is tough uh just because my writing is so spontaneous i really you know jk Rowling. there's this uh famous image you can look it up on the internet it's a chart of all the harry potter books she had them all fleshed out before she wrote mm. the whole thing planned out i could never do that that'd just be way too restricting for me i couldn't do it i'm sure there are points that broke you know it didn't quite go through her plan but it's it, it's pretty incredible to look at it and think that she's really following these milestones and guideposts um but uh, yeah, supposedly I've got a novel in the works. Uh, some of the stories that I've written, I think, do lend to something bigger. And I also like the idea of a novel of stories. I've got one short story collection that I've not published. I need to clean it up more. And it's more of a, it's like a stroll through the kid's bedroom and you get to peek into all the dog houses and then you come back. Um, it's I think of it as a novel of stories. So each story stands on its own, but it's kind of telling one big greater idea. If that makes sense. Mm. No, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think you're you're already kind of doing doing uh, that kind of with this one too, which I think I love is mm -hmm. that that kind of that little hum in the background of every story that kind of stays there, which I think is. Um, I wanted to ask you too. Um, do you do you have um do you have like what would you say is um and I, I guess this kind of goes into kind of how you write too I guess first part of the question is is it a lot of kind of writing uh, like pen and paper computer and there's so many forms of kind of how to write now um, and like space and then also is there any sort of inspirations uh, you take from as far as other type of um, kind of literary aspects other forms of media um kind of like what's the when you're sitting down what what are you usually kind of taking in and how are you putting it to, to words yeah cool good question um yeah i listen to a lot of music uh, but in terms of what i you know i almost put my acknowledgments you know i'd like to you know acknowledge a perfect circle on radiohead and i probably should have mm, nice <laughs> so I listen you know, David Byrne and all those, I, I feel as influenced by music as things I've read in the past. Um, I probably remember music better than I do. Uh, but don't don't test my trivia. Don't give me any trivia questions about me. <laughs> um, in terms of how I work, though, I mostly write on a computer. One story I, I think uh, kind of interesting about it, or at least it was featured in the Ray Carver magazine. Um, as a story that they rejected and then later was published, um, which is kind of hilarious, but they've got this thing. Like, if we reject the story and so we fix it up, we want to hear about it. Yeah. We want to hear, because they're interested in the process. So what did you do to the story? You know, it, it's also subjective anyway. You know, it could have been any one thing that turned the editor or the screener off your story, which is why it never got to the final person's hands to check out for the journal 
Um, and that story actually ended up winning uh, uh, winning an award in a different contest. But I wrote the whole thing on my phone. Really? Like ninety five percent of it. Yeah. yeah the story's called "Then It Would Be Raining." Oh, really? And hmm. and it and what's it? What I thought how it worked out was um, because I was writing it on my phone. You know, like while taking kids to piano lessons or soccer practice or whatever, not while driving, but while waiting for them to emerge from the building or whatever, I would work on a paragraph and I'd really focus on like a intense piece of flash. And the story is just a bunch of scenes and it lends itself fairly well to the nature of the story, which is written from the perspective of a woman watching her husband slip into a dissociative fugue as a result of PTSD. Very appropriate and, for the phone. Uh, the fragmented nature, mm. yeah, the fragmented nature of the whole, her memory of it, uh, what dissociative fugue is like, and what, you know, mm. and then uh, her recollection of it worked really well with the fragments. That actually took a long time to fix, to make it readable. I had to drag stuff around, and but that's what was kind of nice about the small sections is I could export it to uh, a books file, pull it down to my Mac, and then sync it, and then uh, pull it in the Scrivener. Scrivener's the reprocessing program I use for writing. And then export it again, pull it down to my phone, read it, edit. Just lather, rinse, repeat like that. And But 95% of the writing took place on my phone. But it's the only story I've written like that. I write really? random notes on my phone a lot. But, okay. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I definitely can recall the story. I, I do really... I did really enjoy kind of its interruptive nature. I mean, it was definitely, I think it kind of, it spoke really much to the, the to the mind of the piece of just kind of how kind of the, the yeah, the disruptive it was. And um, that's so interesting that it's on their phone. Um, for listeners, yeah, definitely check that one out because I think it kind of yeah. speaks to, it speaks to that feeling. I think it's something we can all empathize with too. And that's another thing about your stories. It, it's like, you know, every moment kind of has that that sense of um, there's a lot of, I think, empathy that's written in without any sort of like I, I love I love the darkness and kind of the, the strangeness of it, because I think a lot of like real kind of feeling of of, you know, one person to the other and all your, per, you know, the perspectives and whatnot. It really speaks uh, more to the real kind of the non-perfect, you know, like you, I can't explain what I'm feeling. And, and that's where I think, you know, creative writing really helps with that is it really actually tells you how to how to speak without even making sense sometimes because that's kind of how the feeling is. Um, that's that's awesome. Um, let's see. I wanted to just kind of um, close out here. Um, by ask or by having you read um, the the ending of or that that last um, story, sometimes creek the the title story, um, just to give yeah. listeners kind of a sense of um, of what they're in for. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, if you want to kind of introduce what part this is. Yeah, well, I was going to say when you were talking about the imperfection and everything. Uh, yeah. Well, I got the, I got the blurb from Amber Sparks, which you know I ran around the house yelling and screaming. Amber mm. Sparks wrote me a blurb. You yeah, know, I, yeah, on the front I, cover. Mm. I, I love Amber Sparks, and uh, she is so cool. Uh, perfect portraits of perfectly imperfect people, and I thought she totally nailed it. I mean, she had a longer quote, but um, totally nails it. I thought. Um, but yeah, thank you. I 
if you, as a writer, if you can kind of leave the reader a bit articulate, I think you've done a really good job. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I'm going to take a drink of water quick. Okay. And uh, so the section I'm going to read is towards the end. It's about two-thirds of the way through. And the narrator has just had to move into a new home following the death of his wife. Um, he's moved in with his child. Her name is, I've lost my page, hang on. Her name is Claire. And they live across the street from a woman named Rain and her daughter, Jasmine. Jasmine is nonverbal and she teaches Claire American Sign Language. They've moved in right as the whole neighborhood is ramping up to um, Halloween. And it's a big deal on the street, uh, which they call Halloween Street in this town. So I'll start reading now. It's going to be about three minutes. <clears throat> Jasmine across the street signs something that reminds me that I haven't put away all the day shopping and a couple of new things happen at once. The first is that it looks like I started to put things away, like groceries and yeah, more Halloween candy, but I became yet again distracted and wandered away from bulk spices and dry goods into some remote brain ether. In this case, to observe the twirling, dying dead leaves. Then a weight presses deliberately across the back of my shoulders into my shoulder blades. Ghosts only get lost for a little while. Do they stop to ask for directions? Who or what would they ask, and how? Maybe they sign too, like with Jasmine to Claire. I, I don't know, but I'm relatively convinced that a motivated ghost will eventually find you, and this pressure upon my back is not entirely new. It's been creeping into me at random since the funeral. The stuff is startling at first, but once settled in, I don't want it to leave. The only thing I dread, in fact, is its departure. The wondering if this time will be the last. I mentioned this to a work colleague over lunch. She doesn't look up from her soup when she tells me calmly that I'm a natural draw for those new at being dead. I nearly dropped my sandwich. So bulk spices, among other items, still need a home to be put away. In my replacement house, from which I'm trying to carve a new home, I repurpose empty spice jars, new labels for old spice and herb containers, a new replaced creation of what it will contain from the old. The empty jar in my hand will become dried peppermint, and I suppose I do replace, like I want to how it said, women mourn, men replaced. But still isn't a thing, and she's not empty. The only thing empty is his jar in hand. I turn it between my fingers and wish I could climb inside and twist the lid. I close my eyes. Once upon a time, there's a man who didn't want to replace. Who didn't want to move on. Didn't want to just get over it. Savory becomes oregano, time becomes pterodon, clove becomes coriander, and finally becomes anise. I open my eyes and look up and out the front window across the street. Warm anise walks in from Sometimes Creek, where beautiful rain makes black licorice. Now for me a piece the other day. I hesitated. 
go ahead, she urged, and smiled secretively. What? You've never had homemade licorice before? She laughed quietly and coiled a length of hair over near. Come on, she cackled, like I was acting silly. She nudged me at the plate. It's even gluten-free. Thank you so much. Um, Steve Fox, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we are pretty much out of time, um, but okay. um, thank you so much for being here today. Um, definitely recommend the book. Um, any, any final word before I let you go? Uh, writers out there, just be bold. Be bold. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure thank talking you, with you today. Yep, you too. Thank you, Cole. I've been speaking with Wisconsin author Steve Fox. His debut short story collection, Sometimes Creek, is available from Cornerstone Press in Stevens Point and in bookstores, and also online. You can find more about Steve and his work on his website, stevefoxwrites.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at stevefoxwrites. You've been listening to Madison Bookbeat, your community radio home for local authors, topics, books, events, and publishers. I've been your host, Cole Erickson. Up next, All Around Jazz with Alex Wilding White, but first, the Insurgent Radio kiosk and these messages. I'll catch you next month. You're listening to Community Radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison.